This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is July 24th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. I'm Jen Murphy-Packer, and I was at Hofstra Radio from uh, the fall of 1992 through the spring of 1995. Okay. And what positions or titles did you hold at the station? I Well, in my earlier time, when I was a sophomore, I was the producer of the Rock and Roll Oasis. And then as an upperclassman, I was co-music director with Brett Dion and program director when I was a senior. Okay. By the way, welcome back. And thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me back. I'm thrilled to be here. It's very exciting uh, to hear your recollection uh, of our time in the 1990s and, and all the things that happened to you. So let's go back to the first position you applied for. You said you applied for uh, producer of the Rock Show. at uh, It was called the Rock and Roll Oasis. Here's a bit of minutia. Was it called the Oasis when you applied for it or was that did that come later? It was. It w- it had not been rock solid during my tenure at the station at all. It may have okay. been changed the year prior. Um, that my, I think it was probably fairly new of a name, but yeah, it was the right. Oasis. Okay. So what made you want to apply for that job? Well, actually, uh, you and John Baker actually approached me to see if I wanted to do it. I had a show. And you generously, you know, the two of you said we thought that I don't don't know who had stepped down or who had been doing it at the time. It it may have been John and Mm -hmm. uh, said, you know, we think that you're up for the challenge and that, you know, you'd be a great fit. And I loved the opportunity and I, I really took it very seriously and then did that. And, you know, again, in in kind of just thinking back and preparing for our chat today, I I think that a similar thing may have happened when Brett and I became music directors because I don't remember actually applying. I I remember Mm -hmm. someone, and I'm not even sure who it was, saying, what do you think? You know, would you want to do it together? And we were both all in um, because we both loved music and being able to expand our influence at the station in that way. And that was also during the time that uh, someone who had worked, you know, very closely with the station or was a, you know, a a colleague of Sue's, I'm not even sure what role he had, but he had this massive vinyl collection and he passed away and left it to the station. So during Brett and my tenure as music directors, part of what we did was go through all of those records and catalog them and, and, and store them. And it was, it was a pretty cool time to be, you know, in the, in addition to being able to interface with all of the record companies and talk to the folks that were, you know, at the companies that, you know, we loved the music of and get access to shows and be able to go to concerts, you know, representing mm-hmm. college radio and representing Hofstra. It was a very exciting time. You know, the kind of the, the two counterpoints of logging all of these old records as well as feeling like we were at the time, you know, some of the stuff that came in was 
really on the on the cutting edge of what was coming out at the time when we would walk over to receiving and and get our boxes mm-hmm. and and come back over and and log everything and and get it into the into the pipeline which in hindsight is pretty cool i'm trying to remember the name of the alum who donated those records and the guy someone... i know i have no idea and i don't want to say what we called him <laughs> um <laughs> but although I now I should because <laughs> it probably sounds worse he was just the dead guy <laughs> he was just right, <laughs> right. it our, wasn't anything bad our... I mean it wasn't nice no, it wasn't but anything it wasn't... bad right we because we, we I don't think we knew enough about him other than that right. um yeah he was an alum who was an avid vinyl record collector and donated hundreds of pristine records that it was like an entire of, room. Yep. Yeah. Some things we already had at the station, but had been beat up, and some things were entirely new to us. So that was like an entire project unto itself. Mm-hmm. Just cataloging that and and what do we have and organizing in that. So was that when you and Brett were music directors, or was that while you were still producing the Oasis? I think it was right at the beginning of our tenure as music directors. I think it may have even happened the summer that we took on those roles and summer mm. was a good time to sit and, you know, log hundreds and hundreds or thousands of records. Well, what else are you going to do with your summer? You know, you're going to sit in a basement and catalog you're records. Go outside. Goodbye to God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nobody does it's every, that. It's every, uh, it's every 20 year old's dream. <laughs> um, to go back to your job as producer of the Oasis, what were what was your day to day responsibility? What were you doing as producer of the Oasis? It was a lot of interacting with the hosts. Um, also, we had I do know that there was a very sort of strict clock that was established um, during Rock Solid, where there were mm-hmm. almost dictated what types of songs you should play in what part of the hour and I I was I was happy that we decided to kind of give more freedom to uh to the DJs on the air and and kind of you know have that piece move on um I do recall specifically though being extremely enforcing of the we are not playing hits and you know I think that we had a lot of agreement in that given that it was college radio and that's not what most folks are there to do. But I was like a stickler for if you're, if you're going to hear this on BAB or NEW, we're, we're not, that's not what we're here to do. Um, We're here to be an alternative to that, even though that wasn't alternative music, it was the deep cuts uh, for lack of a better term. And I think it really made for a very creative show. Yeah, absolutely. And that that policy continued on long after you and I left. But I think it's important for people who are there at the time to understand what was going on in the radio world at the time. And you mentioned WBAB and WNEW. There was also K-Rock, which was a classic rock station. Um, There was also uh, DRE, WDRE, down the road, um, and uh, Q104. So there were five stations that were playing rock and roll music 
in our area. And that was about the time of uh, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and the Chili Peppers and all these rock bands and expanding. And so a lot of stations, commercial stations, were playing the things that we had been playing before they got super popular. And I think it was, you know, a reaction that, well, we're not going to, you know, play the same things that are on commercial radio. We're going to go deeper and and challenge them and challenge ourselves. And it made for, it makes for a more eclectic, you know, if you read any of the, one of my favorite books that I haven't picked up in a long time um, is Radio Waves by Jim Ladd. And mm-hmm. he talks about rock, freeform rock radio in the 70s when it went from, AM to FM and the DJs were playing their own um, their own choices of what the playlist should be, their own choices of what artists they wanted to feature, what uh, songs they wanted to play. And it makes for a much more artistic experience than, you know, certainly the way that radio was programmed today, but even the way that it was starting to lean when like you said, when those major commercial stations were only playing the top hits from these artists. Right. And um, like you said, night to night, I think that different hosts had different flavors and tastes and, and ways that they presented the music. It was a mostly classic rock program, but there each night was something a little bit different. And I was wondering if you remember Absolutely. some of the people who were on while you were producing. I do. I know. I well, Will and I both did Thursday nights, so I know that you know he was on directly after me. I was seven to nine. He was nine to eleven, and we had a very different style in terms of what we were playing. Everybody had their you know their bands that they loved. Um, and Dave Koenig had his own slot that also had its own flavor. Butch, I know it was not strictly uh, an Oasis show, but I. I want to say that soul on a roll was in the Oasis mm-hmm. like block. So it sort of yep. kind of counted like <laughs> there was a little bit of crossover there, which obviously had a very different feel. It, I think that was great that we had, we each had our own personalities that we brought to it and, and gave it that special sort of, you know, flavor. And you could tell a difference. Like if you, if you turn the station on, on a Tuesday night versus a Thursday night, you, you felt the difference. Uh, and the dead zone was also part of the Oasis. It was like a stepchild, <laughs> not a stepchild, but, a, but a part, like we, we had that sort of, you know, lineup of anything that counted as rock went in that, in that seven to 11 slot. Right. So, uh, so Tuesday nights was dead zone. Soul on a roll was Wednesdays. Joe Romano yep. had his show on Friday nights, the 10 to 10 show. Uh, and I think Christy and That's Kathy, right. uh, had their own shows as well as you and Dave. Uh, and those guys. And I, I think those were really interesting times because we were playing a lot of new music, but we were also playing classic rock as well. And like you said, the deep cuts. So um, did you did you feel like the program was a success while you were producing it? Did you really did you were you satisfied with what came out? I really did. I, I loved the show. I loved that because typically college radio is what would be more in, you know, in the nineties would be more in the alternative Mm -hmm. vein, like the very cutting edge, very kind of pushing the envelope in terms of music style and kind of rough around the edges and raw. And 
this is also the early 90s when you know the grunge scene is coming up like you said nirvana and pearl jam and all these bands are are new and new to us um so most college radio stations were focused their efforts there the fact that we were able to maintain and really create our own style of a rock show i i considered a a very special thing and and i thought it had you know a really cool because we had that no hits mentality or you know focus rather it 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 still made it you know within the the college radio space appropriately and i was very proud of that show uh, you know it's very near and dear to my heart i i recently listened to dave koenig's um round two interview with you and the mural that we made i have such a fond memory of that as well the the palm trees and the sand and we really went all in on the oasis metaphor and you know that's kind of that's and we had our little sweeper promos that were uh which i would love to dig up and find um but that we in the in the boring wasteland of commercial rock radio and then we played like an ah sound. Um, this is your oasis, and that was that was the. And I can't believe I remember that script because I spent probably seven hours with <laughs> with that in multitrack. But um, that's what we wanted to be. Like you said, anybody can turn on K Rock or BAB or NEW or Q one hundred four, and I forgot that we had that many at that time. Yeah, and here the same Rolling Stone songs, the same Beatles songs, the same Allman Brothers Band songs. We were there to do that genre, but with a different kind of bent. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So you move up to co-music director and this is a two-part question. So what was it like working with Brett Dion as co-music director? And if you could give us a sense is the loaded question of the space of the music office down there in the basement of Memorial Hall, and you've got all these new records coming in on a regular basis, and you've got the donated records and the two of you sharing office space. What was that like? Oh, yes. Oh, it was fantastic. It was it was a great partnership. I feel like we were kind of yin and yang because we had slightly different musical tastes. You know, Brett's was more into the alternative space, and I was more mainstream rock. So we had kind of both areas covered, um, very complimentary and we got along, you know, amazingly as friends. In fact, he was my first roommate after Hofstra, after moving home. Um, mm-hmm. and the physical space was quite, was quite interesting. But <laughs> before we even get to that, I think we also had a really good working relationship in terms of being music director was, is, is quite a, there's a there's a lot of calls to make and a lot of follow-up to make, especially at the time we had a regular voicemail. <laughs> there was no email <laughs> or, you know, like ways to keep track. We didn't have Outlook where perhaps, um, you know, the, the folks that we were talking to at the record companies could reach us and, and get information to us. It was all over the phone. So we had certain calls that we had to make and, and that we had to return and we would really tag team very well and, and leave each other notes in terms of like which ones I got through and that, you know, what I was leaving for him and vice versa, which ones he had gotten through and when he was there. So that worked out 
very well. Um, the space was quite interesting. Um, the office itself was probably about, I don't know, eight feet by 12 feet <laughs> tops. Yep. Uh, and, yeah. and then you have to then go in from that with shelves of records on both sides of the room and then a desk at the very far end no windows no <laughs> all underground and concrete you know um and yeah we had thankfully i believe and hopefully brett can check me on this we had our like our class schedules were such that we were not in the office at the same time a lot. So we could kind of take turns, but that didn't mean that there weren't plenty of people that would pile into the music office from time to time, just because it was also, I think the more considered the more fun office because it was a dump. I mean, it was an absolute <laughs> stuff everywhere. Um, there's a photo of me that I'll, I'll try to dig up, but sitting at the desk on the phone and the number of posters that are on the yeah. wall, it's so amazing because it's also kind of a microcosm of all of the artists at the time, but we didn't even have enough room to put them. So they're all just overlapping and overlaid each other. And, you know, those jiffy mailers that records would come in on the floor, <laughs> just right. stuff right. everywhere. And I'm kind of a self-admitted slob. So I felt perfectly at home there. Um, a lot of Snapples from upstairs at Bits yeah. and Bites. A lot of uh, fries with cheese sauce from Bits and Bites were consumed in that room. Um, it was a great, you know, very rock and roll feeling room. Um, small, but uh, I loved working in that space. It felt the most college radio to me out of out of all the offices. Even though, you know, the energy of the main office was fantastic and it was set up in in the way that it was on purpose so that many people could work together and that we could have multiple desks and be sharing ideas and stuff. Right. But this was the kind of the music heart and soul of the, of the offices. Right. And like you were saying, it was floor to ceiling records. Yep. I, I think along the entire one wall yep. and then near the door behind the door, there was another, uh, I, I feel like there was another bookcase and then just all the new things coming in. And uh, like you said, it was always messy. There's always things going on. And Brett, Brett's personality wise is a little bit more on the neat side. Yes. So did you ever guys ever, uh, you know, uh, get mad at each other for the way you kept the office or is it just, you know, rock and roll? I don't think so. I think it was just rock and roll. Now that you're reminding me though, we did have one of those um, that you typically see in like an, eye doctor's office or something like one of those low i'll call it a it's like a step stool but that has wheels also was i think oh, yeah. yeah in there and on top of that we would put the crates from receiving and hopefully uh, hopefully i'm making sense with this receiving business it was just where all the packages came into hofstra it was this gigantic right. mailroom on uh the other side of california avenue i think um yeah and we sometimes we would get so much stuff that we had to bring it back in like mm. a, essentially a mail crate. And I guess they were postal crates. So those didn't <laughs> make their way back to receiving. It's shocking. <laughs> yeah. So there were many of those also, you know, littered about, but 
filled with CDs. It wasn't like it was just our junk. It was it was really stuff that we were working on and and kind of sorting through. And there was some sort of method to the madness, or there wasn't, and that's okay because it was college radio. And I, I could picture a few bits and bytes trays in there as well. Oh, yes. It just it was it was it was it was a definite fire hazard. It was definitely not OSHA approved, but that's where a lot of us spent most of our time because that was like you said, it was the heartbeat of the radio station where the music came in and out. So you do a year together as co-music directors, and then you said as a senior you decide to apply for program director. What was that like? Well, it's funny, to be honest, I don't remember applying for any of these jobs. And I, I don't I don't think that means that I <laughs> that I didn't. I I just remember having them. Um I I loved being program director because it was a little bit more of a leadership role because it was over much more of the you know, the music is the heart and the pulse, but this was really around all of our programming and where things should get slotted. And if anyone had an idea for a new show, you know, first it came to the PD. And then of course we would all kind of discuss it together with the station manager and, and decide if we were going to go forward with it. And so I loved having that sort of leadership position over the entire schedule and over the entire, you know, entirety of what was going out over the air. And I I will say I do have much more vivid memories of being music director. I think because of what I mentioned earlier about like all of the contact with the folks at the record companies and, um, you know, promoters and things like that, where we were really doing a lot of legwork in terms of, of trying to get new music in and making sure it came and then getting it cataloged and, and ready for air. Right. I, I remember that more vividly than what I did as PD, but I, but I'm also very proud that I was able to be the program director thinking about it now to be in that type of leadership role at such a young age is a tremendous gift. Um, it, it gives you a certain, or it, it forces you to have a certain amount of self-confidence, even if you're just faking it till you make it because you have to, folks are coming to you for answers and, direction and guidance. And I know that, um, you know, this may lead into part of our conversation down the, down the road, but it, that type of role at that age really prepares you for many, many, many more scenarios later in life that I, that I couldn't have even imagined then. Right. Hmm. Were you the first program director uh, under Bruce Avery, the first one hired by Bruce? I think so, just based on timing. Yeah. Because that sounds right. who who was it? I don't remember. Do you remember who it was when it was, you were a senior? So 93, 94, I was station manager and Christy was the program director. And then Bruce came in in January of 94. Right. So, right. So it was the tail end of Christie's tenure and then me uh, as the first full year. And who's your station manager? I think it was Dawn, wasn't it? It feels right that she was station manager. Yeah, it, feel, it feels right to me. And fun fact, we lived about two doors down from each other in the dorms. So that worked out well, too. Um, do you remember anybody else who was uh, maybe music director or any other positions while you were program director? 
I was trying to remember folks in specific positions that I'm a little foggy on, but I have a, I have a long list of, of people that were there at the time. I mean, the, the core mm-hmm. crew was really, um, my, you know, myself, Brett, you, Will Shelley, Todd Packer, uh, Scott Smolev, Dave Koenig, Butch, Dana, Christy, Kathy, Ray Calderon, um, Bill Kaplan, Denise. Dave Mock, Denise, of course. Denise, I owe my entire WRHU career to Denise. Uh, Paul Cordella, Dawn, Mike V, Mark, and Keith, of course. And that's, I mean, that's, those are the, you know, the, the standouts in my memory. I'm probably forgetting someone who's, you know, a dear friend and it's just <laughs> my memory is rusty at this moment. Um, but that's, you know, that was the core crew kind of at that time. And, yeah. and rich, you know, rich Berger was doing classics. Of course there were, you know, there were some folks that were kind of the mainstays that they came before us and they stayed after us. And so if I haven't mentioned anyone that was sort of a lifetime RHU person that I'm thinking more of the, the students that came through while I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's a, a great crew that you mentioned there. And uh, I think you mentioned Eric Hewler and uh, yeah. Al Montag and Mike Brahatka. Those guys were all around as well. And Joe Romano. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great crew. And um, so you are uh, um, spend a year as program director Um were there any major goals that you had as program director that you think you achieved or, or wanted to achieve? I don't remember. I mean, I know that's, that's a terrible answer, but I, that, that, like I said, the, the music director stuff is much more sharp in my memory um, mm. than being PD. Okay. Um, here's something that you should be able to remember. What is a story that you always tell about Hofstra Radio. I do remember this. Uh, we we did a we did a remote outside on the dorm side of campus. So the that's oh yeah that's the that is the south the side of campus side. or the north side. Yeah, I always get that backwards to this day, even though it's been thirty years. Um, <laughs> and we had all of our equipment set up and we were ready to go. And I think we had the, the palm tree thing in the backdrop and I had a playlist set up and we were ready to rock until in front of that place, I realized that I forgot the CD that we were starting with. And it was probably about 10 minutes till when we were going on the air, but I was not going to change that first song. (laughs) It was it, I'm pretty sure it was Canary in a Coal Mine by the police. So I ran as fast as humanly possible across the Unisban into Memorial, down, got the disc, back up. across. It's it's like that scene for any anyone who's a fan of broadcast news with the, <laughs> with the VHS tape, like ran, handed it, I think, to you. And like it went into a CD player and about... 40 seconds later we were on the air and it's one of those because it worked it's a great story <laughs> if it had if it had not <laughs> not so great but i was you know doing chariots of fire across the unispan 
Um, I can't imagine what anybody who was just happened to be on campus or having dinner in the, in the, in the main cafe in the student center thought was going on with this crazy person running through with a CD. Um, but yeah, that, that story sticks out of my mind and I, I do like to tell it. <laughs> do you have any recollection of why that song was so important? I, I don't, although when I listen to it now. Well, first of all, when I listen to it now, it takes me back exactly to that night. But it right. is a great beat to start an event on. Like the the intro is sets a very cool, fun mood. So it was essential. It had to be there. Yeah, it had to be there. <laughs> That's a great story. That is, uh, that At is least classic. I, I thought it, it did. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we, we, we put a lot of time and effort into these things. And I felt like I talked about this with Dave. We planned and thought about these things and argued about them. And we thought every event and everything that we were going to do was going to be successful and professional and fantastic. We just had this, I don't know, it was youthful uh, optimism, but all these things were so important and we were going to do such a great job. Like That's there right. was so much effort into it and thought. Like how, 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 could it po- how could you possibly deviate from what we spent days, if not weeks, working on? That's right, but I think that level of perfectionism, however, you know, we can we can discuss the productive nature of it, you know, at a at a macro level, but it it's sort of like, you know, shoot for the stars and land on the moon. It, that level of striving for the greatest made it really 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 good. And that that we put our hearts and souls into making it so good. It didn't have to be that song, but the fact that we felt that and, you know, that invested in it makes the rest of it kind of have a ripple effect of, of being good all around. Here's, here's a slightly dumb question about the situation, but it popped into my mind. Why were you running across the Unispan? Was there no, no one idea. else? I don't know. I, <laughs> no I offense, but <laughs> I don't know. I could have been the most stubborn one about wanting it to be first. <laughs> that that wouldn't, sounds right. That wouldn't shock me. That sounds right. That sounds right. Okay. All right. So that's a story that you always tell about working at the station. Is this story? Is there a story that you forgot about or have remembered recently, or something that you rarely tell about working at the station? There is, and it's 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 a you know it's kind of a dark memory, but just in thinking back, we were in the studio when the news of Kurt Cobain's passing came out. Mm. And I don't remember who was on the air, but I remember that not only were, was someone was on air, but several of us were either working on something in multi-track or in two-track because I remember there being almost like communication through the glass about it happening and, and you know, just the shock of it. Um, and, and I hate, you know, I hate to bring it into such a, a sad place, but we were on the radio when that happened. Um, and it was, it was terrible and it really impacted many of us, you know, in a, in a big way, but that's also, you know, music history and, and, you know, don't talk about that one so much, but I do remember it. Hmm. I mean, it's the biggest band in the world at the time. Yeah. And they had changed commercial rock radio to the point that, you know, all those stations that we mentioned before and WPLJ, you remember they became Mojo Radio and Z100 changed its format. I mean, they changed 
pop culture. And, and when Kurt died, that was, uh, is cataclysmic for our generation. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, along those lines, I guess, is there a song or an event or something that in your mind defines your time at the station? A little, a little bit. Uh, I would say if I had to pick a one song, it was a song that I ended my show very frequently with. It's Bad Company's Silver, Blue, and Gold. There's something about that song that to me can totally take me back to being in the studio. There's something about the the mood and the feeling of it that to me feels like my time at WRHU. It's, it's a very kind of take you out of your head, escape a little bit. It's a feel-good song from a band that was, you know, pretty straight up classic rock. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little more, it, not lighter, but um, it's it's different from even what they recorded. And I, I always ended my show with a Bad Company song. Um, and so if I had to pick one song, it would be that. If I had to pick an album, for sure, it would be Lenny Kravitz's Are You Gonna Go My Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that came out when... We were at the station. Um, we had the opportunity to go see Lenny at Radio City on that tour and go backstage <laughs> and meet him for a few minutes, which, you know, at that time he was exploding. And yeah. just th- what he was doing was combining so many of his influences of, you know, funk and like classic classic rock but then making it modern and his sound that that album i think must have gotten played in the music office a thousand like just non-stop for a while um and it exploded and so if it if i had to pick an album it would be that Mm -hmm. and in my mind's eye that photo that you referenced of you on the phone in the background, I'm pretty sure that was a Lenny Kravitz poster. It was. Above the desk. It, it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Those were, that was, that was a time that show at Radio City. That was. It sure was. was. A good time. <laughs> oh man. Um, what's the funniest thing that happened? at the station or was there a, a, a screw up or a moment or something that just made you laugh and laugh and laugh? Well, there's something that makes me laugh now that at the time made me in a full on panic. Uh, we were, I was on the air, a song was on. I cannot tell you what it was. Bruce came into the studio and I realized in the middle of the song that it was not cleared for air. Like there was some cursing or something in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just panicked like, like, you know, and so I just turned the monitors down. <laughs> so the song still played on the air. <laughs> and we didn't hear it in the studio. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm even surprised in hindsight that I, it was just a slip. Like it was just what, I, but it was the timing of, of that you know, of him being there. And I was like, well, he's here. If I turn it down, he won't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) And I have no idea what song it was. Um, But yeah, I mean, we had, we had many, many funny times. Um, 
you know, the chairs, the chair races down the hall yeah. and, yeah. uh, you know, there's the, I don't know if this counts as funny or this counts as another, um, story, you know, just in thinking back, um, we had some parties, uh, <laughs> in yep. what was really the, you know, the, the school side of campus, not the dorm side. Uh, and it, we had some really fun, fun times and, and just the, the, the types of things that usually only happen in movies. And by that, I don't mean like anything so wild or, or crazy or over the edge, but like the idea of a bunch of, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds <laughs> having the run of, of a on air broadcast radio station. And then also simultaneously having a holiday party in the office <laughs> of said radio station. Um, and it was just like the things that you fantasize college is going to be like and it was i mean we mm. were the we were the nerds but we were still like it was so it was the nerd fantasy of what college is <laughs> like um i also have a very sweet fond memory of many of us um rolling out a tv and watching the charlie brown christmas special in the office together wow yeah yeah oh just wow. so sweet and and though to me you know, the, the, the station means so much to me and, you know, both on a, you know, professional development and leadership development level, but that's like the heart of it, you know, not to sound like overly cheesy or anything, but just that we just did stuff like that all the time, you know, like, but yeah. that, that one stands. I remember sitting like on a desk and the TV being right there and it was just some, tv on a rolling cart it was probably like an you know 19 inch tube tv <laughs> i don't even know how we had like how well, we had where did it, on where did it come from television right right did we have like rabbit ears like in the office i don't i don't know yeah i don't know because it wouldn't have been on cable it, mu it must have been something over broadcast signal and where on earth we got a tv who even knows i don't know but you know, th things sometimes just just appeared, you know, someone had access to something and a thing appeared and, and we didn't ask questions. And and like your previous story, you know, I appreciate your keeping it vague to protect the guilty. I don't know what the statute <laughs> of limitations are, but <laughs> let's let's not go into further detail. I don't think, yeah, I don't think public safety can come after <laughs> us anymore. But yeah, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Yeah, let's not chance it. Let's just leave it at that. Um, do you have um, a proudest moment or a biggest accomplishment that stands out to you? I do. And it's a little more than a little corny. Um, I was told by my better half that this doesn't count, but I think it does. I met my husband Although we did not date for many years after working at the radio station, but at WRI, actually, actually not at WRHU, I stand corrected, in Vern LeCount's um, intro to TV production class, mm -hmm. where he had us go around the room and, you know, introduce ourselves and say a little bit about who we were. And I said, I worked the radio station and, you know, left class, we... Uh, 
you know, wrapped up for the day and I walked outside and Todd was in the class and he came up to me and I remembered as clear as day. He said, you work at the radio station? I said, yeah, you should come down. And he came down and he met all of us and, you know, we had many years of, of simply being friends and now we've been married for almost 20. So I think that's my biggest accomplishment there. <laughs> but, um, but professionally at the station, I would say being in a leadership role, um, you know, really I'm, I'm very proud of it. It probably gave me a lot of the skills or more than probably gave me a lot of the skills that I, that I still have to, I, you know, I've been in, in many leadership roles in my career and, I think the foundation of a lot of that being able to have that level of confidence and, and manage people and like who's managing a team at mm -hmm. 20 yeah. um, and, and just, you know, being able to have that autonomy and, and things like that. So yeah. And I, you know, I'm, pr I'm proud of some of the little stuff we did like that remote, you know, in front of the student center. And um, David also mentioned when we would go kind of during I guess it would be the first weekend of, of freshmen being on campus and just kind of running all over and handing out flyers to come work at the mm -hmm. station. I, mm -hmm. I actually remember meeting Dana like in by giving out one of those flyers. Um, wow. So, you know, we, we did a lot of we did a lot of really great stuff with very, very few resources or or lean resources, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely had to get very creative uh, in a number of ways. You, you've mentioned uh, a number of times being in a leadership role and being a young person and all these responsibilities and things going on. Was there ever a time where it's like, this is too much or this is too stressful or I don't want to do this? Did you ever think about walking away from the station? Never. I loved it so much. And it was my, I, I wouldn't even say my second home. It was my home when I was there. I think I spent more time there than in my dorm room and, and gladly, uh, <laughs> and you know, second family doesn't even begin to explain how I felt about everyone that, you know, were, I, I don't even want to say that we worked with, that we, that we were our own family. So I, I did not consider leaving. I mean, the culture changed a bit when I was a senior, you know, due to some structural management changes and I didn't agree with all of the policies that were put in place, but I, I, if anything, I kind of doubled down and wanted to fight for what we had built, uh, rather than walk away. I, I think it's a really important thing for people to understand, you know, who weren't there, what it was like for a couple of years, basically, between Jeff Krause's passing and when Bruce uh, took over as full-time general manager and then the move to what I still call the new building. Mm -hmm. We weren't exactly feral children running around, but we had a lot of autonomy as students to make decisions about the radio station. And then Bruce came in and had a very definite philosophy and you know, whether you or I or anybody agrees with what Bruce wanted to do in those early days, it was quite a, a 180 from yeah. we're going to do the things that we're going to do. We're going to do these remotes. We're going to do these things. And then Bruce came in and had a system that he wanted. 
and that must have been a little tough to to work through. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was a shock to the system because it was much more of a corporate or mm-hmm. corporate adjacent mentality of, you know, structure and every meeting is going to have an agenda and meeting notes and we were not about that and you know, I I still I still believe that the the beauty of college radio that should be maintained as much as possible is that the raw kind of edginess of it. And when you put a lot of structure around it, you, you could potentially lose that. Um, Mm. or you could, you could kind of lose some of it. Like you said, we were running a broadcast radio station and again, not not at all like like you said, like like feral children. In fact, if anything, I think it made us take it very seriously and step up into some you know pretty important roles that you know we never we never we never had dead air. We never had we never had a shift that didn't get filled. We kept mm-hmm. not only kept the lights on would be the understatement. We we kept everything running and going and thriving really yeah. without management. So then when management came in and wanted to manage us, we were like, but we don't need that. <laughs> We've been doing perfectly fine. So what is this, what is this, you know, um, structure? And, and that's not to diminish, you know, all of the things that Bruce did to, to grow the presence of the station and, and to really evolve the number of students that get exposed and the, the, reach and and um you know i'll say footprint of of wrhu because i think it's you know there's been a growth of how well it's known and and all of the amazing awards that the station has received and 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 it has grown but to us to your point at that time it felt like a very sharp contrast in what we were Mm -hmm. used to and and when you're 20, you don't really <laughs> excited about uh, formal rules and having meetings, and <laughs> that's that's for later. I, I remember. I remember Bruce would use the term "paper path." Paper path. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We want to create a paper path, and you know, we would say, "Well, you know, we've been running announcing and engineering classes. You know, we'd call up and say, hey, who wants to come? Come do it.' And we got people cleared, and they were on the air, and they sounded good, and we did all the things." Uh, we just did it in a more uh, off the cuff, informal kind of way, and uh, yeah, it was a bit jarring. But it was also I don't I don't know that it was sustainable what we were doing. Exactly, and I I think it was just probably tougher for us because we were in the the bridge generation of having both sides, and to this day, if I hear or think of the term paper path. I actually picture a physical path on the ground made yep. of paper. <laughs> and, and and I picture Bruce. I picture Bruce next to it with that sort of smirk on his face and his eyes would crinkle up and his, his hands would go up sort of parallel. And yep. I, I just picture that face where he's like, we're going to make a paper path and we're going to do this. And, and on the one hand, you go, yeah, I get that. That makes sense. And on the other hand, I don't want to do that, man. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I'm really glad that you said that we rose to the occasion and and we excelled at a time when we very well could have let everything fall apart. 
Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, all those people that you mentioned before and a couple dozen other people, there were a good 60 to 75 people who showed up at that radio station on a regular basis and made it work. And all the things that Sue Zizza was doing at the time behind the scenes and, and uh, Steve Spencer and all the things that he did um, that we kept the train running and, and running well, I think uh, 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 we, we could spend days talking about that, I think, but, uh, but I'm really glad that you said that the way that you said it. it uh, I think it rings really true. Thank you. Oh, and all right. Now that you mentioned Steve Spencer, that's another funny story. I don't know who's responsible. You might remember, but someone took the time to take many, many, many cassettes and <laughs> unspool them. And <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to explain this so that there's a visual. Um, lace them through the ceiling, I guess, because the ceiling had those the uh, drop you ceiling, know, popcorn. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's like the connectors. So lacing it through all, so that essentially it was just a crazy spider's web on top of spider's web of tape <laughs> in, in poor Steve's office. <laughs> and I could, I'll, I'll try to find that too. There's a photo of him sitting at the desk, I think, with all of this, this around. That, that sounds familiar. And the time that we, I think we, we, put wrapping taper and, uh, and, and pa um, tape across his desk while he was on some, you know, conference call yep. and we taped him inside. Steve was a good sport. Very good sport. <laughs> and, and, and if I do know the names of the people who did those things and I may or may not, I, again, will protect the guilty and, and we can talk about it later, but <laughs> yeah, we did a few things. Um, I think I know the answer to this question, but what do you miss most about, working at Hofstra Radio? Oh, just being together. Just all of us being together, both. I mean, I miss my show, of course, but but both on the air and off. I think I said this the first time we chatted, but it's, it's worth repeating. No matter what time of day or, you know, night up to a certain point, um, you stop. If you, you know, felt like hanging out with somebody, there was someone there, you know, or there was yeah. a couple of us sitting in our cars chatting in the parking lot or, um, you know, waiting for friends to come home from a concert or, you know, it, that was just the, the, the pulse of my life at the time and has given me lifelong friends. So that's, that's the part that I miss. And the, you know, the, 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 this is natural. This is because of the time in our lives that it was, but the, the ease of being together, you know, you want to go get dinner? Sure. You want to go, you know, to the mall? Sure. You want to go to Tower Records? Sure. <laughs> yeah. um, there was always somebody around. Um, and, you know, as, as you get older and everybody's got busy lives and jobs and families and stuff. It's harder to just have those easy, you know, without having to make a plan, those, those times together. Um, so I'll, I'll quote one of my favorite movies that I just watched the other day, which is extremely relevant. Um, but I also have to give Brett credit for this quote. Cause I know that it's, it's one of his favorites. We had good times and we had bad times, but we had times. Um, that's from Singles, uh, <laughs> yep. which is from 1992. Uh, 
<laughs> which is crazy, but we had times um, and they were mostly, mostly great and very passionate people doing something that they loved so much. Every person there was fully into whether it was music or news or sports, the community volunteers as well. Yeah. No one was there because they had to be. And that creates a passion that you can't manufacture. So Amen. Amen. There you go. Um, what advice would you give to 18 year old Jen? Lighten up. <laughs> Could you elaborate? Um, because sure. <laughs> I, I think, I think 18 year old Brian could use that advice as well. Could you elaborate a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, perhaps this type of advice is only possible in hindsight because of course, you know, I just said that the reason that we were all so successful was that we were perfectionists and that we loved it and we wanted it to be absolutely perfect and this, but you know, given the the fact that it was still college and we were still, you know, late teens, early 20s, you know, it's okay. It's it's going to be okay. It, it doesn't have to be exactly right. It doesn't have to be exactly, you know. It doesn't have to be perfection. canary in a coal mine. It's, That's it, correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it, and it was, but it at that time especially, it should be about the enjoyment and the passion and not so much getting it right. Um, although, again, you know, like, and I wish I could remember it, but, you know, I had a few amazing segues on vinyl from, like, one song to another. And when you, yeah. there's no feeling like that in the world. So Amen. it's like, shoot for, shoot for the perfect, but settle for good. All right. All right. Um, technology is not an excuse. You've got a couple hours free. You get a call from John Mullen. Can you come down to the station and do a show? Are you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, All I right. would. Without hesitation. Wait, now? No, right I'm, now? I'm not, not right now, but, you know, hypothetically. You get a call. Come do, come do a show. Come do a Rock and Roll Oasis show. You doing it? Oh, yes. I mean, I would have to. I would. I I guess I wouldn't have to. I was going to say I would have to prep, but no, it's an emergency. Yeah, I would do it. I would do All it. Right. I, I mean, I would. I Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, Look, I can't even lighten up now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're all works in progress. We're, we'll all get there <laughs> at some point. And if we don't, I guess, you know, it'll just be fun along the way. I don't know. We're stressful. Um, you've mentioned this a couple of times. What are the things that you brought from Hofstra Radio with you into your professional and, and grown-up life? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, like you said, I've said it a few times, the, I think the leadership skills, the, it's good, some of this is going to sound kind of hokey and cliche, but it's 100% true. Being able to work in a team, being able to work with a group that's got, you know, a diverse set of opinions and that might kind of butt heads sometimes and kind of come to a place of whether it's compromise or at least a path forward. I, you know, I work with tons of different personalities and being able to kind of navigate through that because we did. And it was, it actually was 
a, a one of the beautiful parts of, of what we were is that there were so many different interests and opinions and, you know, it, it made for a better, more, you know, I hate, I, again, I hate to sound like hokey, but like, like that's how you get to the good place. Like by, by listening mm. to, you know, what other folks have to say and how they want to do it. And, but then to the point from earlier, feeling confident enough to make a final call, you know, like I've, I've, for the, at least the last 15 to 20 ish years in my career, I've been in mostly leadership and management roles where you gotta, you gotta be decisive. You got, you have to help, you know, your team, move forward and, and make decisions and, and take risks. And I think we were not afraid to take risks and, you know, they weren't huge ones, but it, it gives you that courage to kind of go a little farther than you might, or take a chance that you might not, you know, previously and, and then see what that does. It really truly was a gift to us that we were able to be in essentially a microcosm of a business, mm-hmm. and, but without the business, like we didn't have to, we didn't have to figure out a budget or a marketing mm-hmm. plan or a, you know, it was, but it, we still had all of the roles without perhaps the, the piece that sort of robs the creativity. You know, we were able to maintain that because we didn't have to answer to a, you know, a, a board of directors or, and not that there wasn't politics going on between the station and, and um, the university, but thankfully we were not on the front lines of that. You know, that was some other brave souls. Um, <laughs> but it, it, we really were in managing teams and managing schedules and making sure, you know, things worked as, as they needed to. And, and I've taken that with me, you know, through my, through my career for sure. Hmm. That's great. Jen, this has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, thank you so much for sharing your stories. I feel like I've got to come up with another round of questions because I feel like there's so many more stories. All right. I'm up for it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks.